Good morning and welcome to Downtown Presbyterian Church. It's really great to see everyone. My name is Jonathan Davis. I'm one of the pastors here, and that was Adam Radcliffe leading us in worship. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. Hope you all had a great week. It's, it's good to see everyone once again. We're going to continue our series this morning uh, in the New Testament book of Hebrews. Uh, that text is printed for you in your bulletin. Uh, we'll, we'll be looking at chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. Uh, this year, uh, 2018, marked the 50-year anniversary of maybe the greatest TV show of all time, uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Uh, it was the 50-year anniversary, so there have been a lot of great documentaries and books that have come out recently about Fred Rogers and about the show. Uh, just over 10 years ago, uh, there was a book about Mr. Rogers written by a newspaper writer uh, in Texas, a guy named Tim Madigan, uh, and the book chronicles Tim's friendship with Fred. Uh, they originally met when Tim was writing a piece in his newspaper about Mr. Rogers, and he flew out, and, and they got to know one another, and they struck up a very deep friendship. And so this book chronicles their friendship. It's a, it's a wonderful book. But one of the things that, that happens in this friendship is that Tim opens up uh, to Fred about never feeling like he had the, the approval of his father, uh, never feeling like he was good enough, and just how it was crippling to Tim in many different aspects of his life. And so when Fred learns this, as soon as he hears this, from that point forward, Mr. Rogers ends every communication with Tim with the letters I-P-O-Y, which stands for I'm proud of you. And so every phone call ends with that, every email, every letter, Mr. Rogers always says to Tim, I'm proud of you. Why? Tim's past was screaming at him that he wasn't good enough and tempting him to continue to think that way. And so Fred told him again and again, I'm proud of you. I-P-O-Y. The writer of Hebrews in our text is doing something similar this morning. There was so much in the past for these Hebrews, their Jewish background, their Jewish roots, that was screaming at them and luring them back to the old way of doing things under the old covenant. And so the writer is going to repeat himself again and again to tell them, Jesus is better. And you've heard that from up here, and you're going to hear it again today. Jesus is better. He's come at it from different angles, as we've seen in previous weeks. And this morning in our text, he's going to show us that Jesus is the better sacrifice. So with that in mind, let me read our passage for us. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. 
He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I'll remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. This is God's word. Let me pray and ask him to be with us as we consider it. Father, we do thank you for speaking to us in your word. Lord, you know the things that are on our minds today, uh, events of this past week and uh, events of the week ahead. But Lord, um, we long to know more of you and we long for you to speak to us. So we pray that you would do that by your Holy Spirit, through your word, that we might know more of who you are today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So my oldest daughter, Caroline, she was born in October of uh, 2009. And if you can remember back to the fall of 2009, uh, there was a historic outbreak of swine flu. This was the year of the swine flu. Uh, It was this particular strand of the flu that spread like crazy. um, And uh, people were terrified, to say the least. We were especially terrified because my wife was pregnant. And so we had like one hope throughout this whole time. And the hope was in getting a flu shot, uh, getting a flu shot. And um, the flu shot that year was in such high demand, they had this like prioritized waiting list. And like different groups who were more at risk were able to get the shot first because there was only so much of it. And so uh, Aaron being pregnant qualified uh, to get the shot. And eventually I qualified to get the shot because I was going to be the father of a newborn. So I'd be around this baby. I, I should have the shot. So I, I get the, the, the letter that has a, a particular address as to where I'm supposed to go to get this shot. It wasn't just something you could go to the doctor and get. Um, and so I drive this address on a Saturday morning. And it's a building with a huge parking lot. Uh, there may be 100 people there in this parking lot. And there are school buses lined up, and we, and we start boarding these school buses, and they bus us over to an area high school. And we get to this high school, and we get off the bus, and then uh, there are all these signs set up at the high school, and we essentially walk in like single file line through the property of this high school into what is the high school's cafeteria. And it's no longer a cafeteria, but there are nurses station, stations set up all over this cafeteria. And they're just giving people shots all day as they bust people in. So I go, I finally get the shot, I'm bussed back to the original parking lot, I get back in my car, drive home. Hours later, after this whole ordeal begun, and and I'm sitting there thinking, why did I go to all this trouble to get this flu shot? It was because my priority was to be with my daughter, to hold her, to care for her, And if I got infected with this type of flu, I couldn't be around her. It would be too great a risk. So so my potential illness 
would prevent me from being near my healthy daughter. This is what's going on in our passage this morning. This is the question. How can we draw near to God if we're infected with sin? How can we draw near to God if we're infected with sin? And the writer of Hebrews and all the scriptures tell us that we can't. We can't. Our sin prevents us from being near to God. And yet throughout Hebrews, as we've seen, the writer has told us at least seven times that being near to God is the very thing we were created for. So the question remains, what are we going to do about our sin? The original audience, they were considering going back to the old way of sacrifice. And it's into this that the writer says, again, simply, that won't work. Jesus is the better sacrifice. And the reminder that he's giving them in our passage is the same reminder that we need today. Um, There are so many days where I wake up and I just feel guilty. I don't know what for necessarily, but it's just this low level guilt. Maybe you can relate to that. And, and then the day then becomes this exhausting attempt to outwork my guilt, to outperform my guilt. But those efforts never seem like enough. So what, what will break that cycle of trying to outrun that guilt that we operate with? We need to see that there's a sacrifice for our sin, and that sacrifice worked. That it actually worked. And there's a contrast that's set up in our passage, and that's how we're going to look at this this morning. So let's look at the shadow of forgiveness and the reality of our forgiveness. So first thing that we see here is the shadow of our forgiveness. Look at verse 1 in our passage. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities... It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Okay, so he starts off, he says to them point blank, the way you did those sacrifices under the old covenant, it doesn't work. It can't, in his words, make perfect those who draw near, which is the very thing that we need. Rather, he says those were a shadow which were pointing to this reality that was coming. All right, so why didn't these old ways work? He highlights some of those things. And the first thing he says is that the offering itself wasn't enough. Uh, What was being offered under the old covenant? Look at verse 4. It tells us that it was the blood of bulls and goats. So this is referring back to that annual day of atonement, which we mentioned last week. The high priest would go into the earthly tent, tabernacle, once a year, offer the sacrificial blood of a bull and a goat to atone for his own sins and the sins of the people. And so the audience hearing this, they would have remembered exactly what he was talking about. But the writer of Hebrews tells them, point blank in verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. He says the offering wasn't enough. Why? He actually answered that back in Hebrews chapter 2 in verses 14 and 15. Listen to what he said back in chapter 2. He says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, referring to Jesus, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. 
So he said the offering, it has to be like us, human flesh and blood, in order to pay for our sin. As people, our sin condemns us before God. And so if there's going to be a sacrifice that is in our place, it has to be a person. It has to be flesh and blood, like us. And he's saying those bulls and those goats were not. They weren't enough. They were a shadow of what was to come. So the, the old way didn't work because the offering itself wasn't enough. And because of this, he tells us that the sacrifice had to be repeated. The sacrifice had to be repeated. Uh, so this is now my second um, fall season living in Greenville. And um, I've realized that, that for our yard, uh, the week before Thanksgiving is when I need to do like the massive leaf blowing effort. That's when there's enough leaves on the ground where I can begin to do that. And so um, last weekend and some this week, I had, I had the blower out and the rake. And I was getting the, uh, pushing all the leaves to the curb. Which, by the way, as an aside, one of the greatest things about our city is the fact that you just push all that stuff to the curb. You don't have to bag it. You don't have to haul it off. And they come and take it for you. It's amazing. Thank you, City of Greenville. Uh, so I, I did this last weekend. And I was, like, I was in the zone. I had the earbuds in, music going, the backpack blower on. And this enormous pile of leaves was just turning over on itself, like crawling towards the curb, about to be out of my life forever. It was an incredible moment, but then I looked up at the trees in my yard, and there were still leaves on the trees. And those leaves were actually still falling as I was blowing, and so the, the part that I had just blown was now beginning to slowly get covered in leaves again. And I knew in that moment that the work wasn't finished, that I was going to have to come back out and do it again next week. After this Day of Atonement, when the bull and the goat would have been sacrificed, everyone involved would have known that this wasn't a one-time thing, that the work wasn't finished, that the priest is going to have to come back next year and do this same thing once again. Look at this at the end of verse 1. It says the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year. And in verses 2 and 3, he says, Otherwise... Would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. What's he saying? He's saying that uh, if this offering would have been enough, they wouldn't need to do it again because sin would have really been dealt with. But the offering wasn't enough, so the sacrifice had to be repeated. And even then, what does he say about the sacrifices? They were a reminder of sin year after year. A reminder of how this thing really wasn't fixed in the way that it needed to be fixed. And so he's telling us on the whole that these sacrifices under this old covenant, that they didn't fix the problem. They didn't fix the problem. He says this point blank in verse 1. He says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. This idea of being made perfect is used twice in our passage. Maybe you notice that. It's used a total of like eight times throughout Hebrews. And it's important because it's the thing we need if we're going to draw near to God, to be made perfect. And this is the problem because the thing we need most is to be near to God but it's impossible for us to do this if nothing is atoned for our sin. 
And he says in verse 1 that the old way couldn't do it. And in case we missed it, verse 4 again. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Down to verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. The sacrificial system, he's telling us, under this old covenant, did not fix the problem. It couldn't take away sin. It was a shadow. One of the gifts that I remember getting as a kid, uh, I think it was a Christmas gift, was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles shaving kit. Um, I loved the Ninja Turtles as a kid, and I had seen my dad shave, and so seven-year-old me thought, hey, I should do that also. And so um, I get this kit, and it came with like shaving cream and a brush to brush the shaving cream on and this pretend razor um, that you could shave with. And I thought this was the coolest thing. And so I, I would go into the bathroom and make a giant mess with this shaving kit. I loved it. All right, obviously, my Ninja Turtle shaving kit wasn't actually shaving my face. Uh, but in a way... It was preparing me for when I really would start shaving. How foolish would it be for me now as an adult to get rid of my Mach 3 and go back to the Ninja Turtle razor? Even then it didn't work. And even then it was only pointing me and preparing me for that Mach 3. This is a dilemma of the Hebrews. Why go back to this old way? This former way of doing things, it was never meant to be the end. They were always meant to get us ready for the real thing. But they were not the real thing in and of themselves. They were a shadow of this forgiveness. Let's look at the reality of this forgiveness. How did things change when Jesus came? What was better about it? To use the language of verse 1, how did we move from the shadow of the thing to the reality of the thing? Well, he tells us first that Jesus, as our offering, was enough. Jesus was enough. The bulls and the goats, they weren't because they were just that, bulls and goats. But look at verse 5 and following. He says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. This is a quote from Psalm 40. And it's being quoted here to underscore the writer's point point that in order to deal with the sacrifice, in order for the sacrifice to be enough, it had to be a person. And Jesus was that. He was fully God, and he came and he took on real human flesh and became fully human. He took on, as the writer says, the body that had been prepared for him. And it was the will of the Father that he would send a sacrifice for our sin that was enough fully God and fully man. And because the offering of the body of Christ on the cross was enough, 
It therefore means that he was the final sacrifice. That's the next thing that we see here, that he was the final sacrifice. Um, the first car that I ever drove was a 1994 Nissan Altima uh, with about 200,000 miles on it. Uh, it was, was this bluish green color, and in our family, we affectionately referred to it as the Blue Bomb. Uh, and for some reason, the Blue Bomb was notorious for the hubcaps always falling off all the time. And so there were multiple times where I'd be driving around, and out of the corner of my eye, I would see a, a, a plasticky, a uh, silver-looking hubcap just go shooting off my car off to the side of the road. And early on, I would try to stop and, and find them and pick them up and find some way to reattach them. Uh, but eventually, they just got to be such a constant problem, such a constant headache that I realized there's no way to fix this. And they were a problem that was ongoing until I finally just got a new car. Now, for our sin problem to really be dealt with, we need a new way of handling it. What's the new way? He tells us. Look at verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Look back up to the second half of verse 9. It says, He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. All right, do you remember how the writer said in verse 2 that if that old offering was enough, then the sacrifices would have ended? He's telling us now that the sacrifices have ended because Jesus was enough. And this image is underscored in verse 12 with another reference to Psalm 110. We've seen that reference before where it says that Jesus sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. So it's the image of King Jesus conquering something to the point of completion, sitting down. The sacrificing is done. As an offering, Jesus was enough. As a sacrifice for sin, he was the final one. There's no more sacrificing required for your sin. No more atoning required for you. Jesus on the cross was a final sacrifice. And do you see what this means for you? This is the third thing that the author highlights for us. This is what this means for you, that Jesus offers real forgiveness for your sin. Look at verses 15 through 18. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. This is another reference to Jeremiah 31. This was the Old Testament promise of this new covenant that would be ushered in by Jesus in our passage, it's the final stamp of the writer's argument to tell them that Christ is better. And he does so by highlighting two promises of this new covenant. The first is that God is going to put his law on the hearts of his people, saying that this new covenant, it's an internal one that deals with our hearts. Gone are the old rituals and the old ceremonies that dealt with external things. Christ has come and he's come to work inside of us. He's come after 
our hearts. And then the other promise that he highlights is that God will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Remember how he said earlier that the old way of sacrifice served as a constant reminder every year of our sin? He says the new way removes our sin from memory. One commentator says it's a refusal to remember. God is refusing to remember your sin. Jesus as your sacrifice has taken care of it. Think about how hard this is to do in our relationships with each other. To refuse to remember someone's sin. It it may not seem like a big deal that God refuses to remember our sin until we realize how much we do that. How we are constantly holding the sins of others just dangling above their heads. Refusing to forgive a spouse or a parent or a sibling or a friend at school or a fellow church member. And not just refusing to forgive, but actually dialing in with laser focus all the ways in which they've fallen short. And of course, we will always find ways to justify and to nuance why in our particular situation, we sh- it's okay for us to do it. It's okay for us not to forgive them. This is not how God is. God refuses to remember your sin. Look at verse 18. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Jesus as our offering was enough. His sacrifice on the cross was final. And because of this, he offers real forgiveness of sin. And this ends the author's argument in Hebrews on Christ being better. And there's a giant therefore after our passage in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, where he's going to start to make the turn and apply this into the lives of the readers in these final chapters. And we're going to pick that back up. We're going to revisit that after the new year. But as we wrap up this section, do you see what Hebrews has been driving at? Repeatedly. Let me highlight two biggies. The first is something that we can never hear enough. That your sins really are forgiven. Your sins really are forgiven. Uh, You with the guilty conscience, uh, with the cloud of shame that hovers, with the constant video replay of your past in your mind that you just can't shake, you really are forgiven. I'm reading a book right now called Educated. It's written by a lady named Tara Westover and. Um, I won't go into all the details of the book, but Tara grew up in a really, really difficult and traumatic uh, family situation. It was very unique. They, they essentially lived off the grid in the mountains of Idaho, and she never really had any schooling. She was basically self-taught um, until she was 18 years old. And through a crazy turn of events, um, she ends up doing master's and Ph.D. work at Cambridge, of all places. And it's a fascinating story, um, but here, there's a point in the book where she describes uh, what she feels like at Cambridge. And she describes um, how she tried to essentially scrub herself clean from her past by how she dresses at Cambridge and by trying to fit in as a Cambridge student. 
But she talks about this stark contrast of, of her external life and the internal reality of how she really felt. Listen to how she describes this. She says, I can go to school. I had written in my journal that very afternoon. I can buy new clothes, but I am still Tara Westover. I have done jobs no Cambridge student would do. Dress us any way you like. We are not the same. Clothes could not fix what was wrong with me. Something had rotted on the inside, and the stench was too powerful, the core too rancid to be covered up by mere dressings. This is so often how we deal with our guilt and shame. We are desperate to find external things that are going to change our insides. Appearance, clothing, body weight, the neighborhood we live in, the job we have, where we live geographically. But it's never enough. The Hebrews were doing something similar. And as we do all these things, it feels as though our insides are rotting. Like we're still our old self. Like we haven't really changed. Do you know what the good news is for you this morning? That Jesus came to deal with what's on the inside. He came to enter into those places. He deals with that sin and that guilt that is so deep down inside of you, it just makes you feel rotten. He came to deal with that and to deal with that once and for all and to make you into a new person starting with your insides. So whatever your story is, whatever you attribute that lingering guilt or shame in your life to, whatever that is, know that Jesus has fully dealt with it and God the Father refuses to remember it. Your sin really is forgiven inside and out. This is the reality of your forgiveness. And it is just that. It is reality. This is what is true of you. And it means that you can draw near to God. Hebrews has been driving at this concept that we were made to be near God. And now because of Jesus, it's possible. And the Father invites you to himself this morning. He invites you to himself, not with a face of scorn or disappointment or waiting for you to prove yourself worthy. But he invites you with the open, loving arms of a father. Won't you come and be near to him? This is your deepest longing. And it's yours in Christ. Let me pray and ask God to give this to us. Oh, Father, what a gift it is that you invite us to be near to you and that you make this nearness possible by sacrificing your own son for us because you love us. God, I pray for those this morning who are just ridden with guilt, who just can't come to terms with the sins of their past. God, by your Holy Spirit, would you show them that the sacrifice of your Son was enough? And that they can be near their Father now. 
Lord, by your grace, would you show that to each of us? It's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.